Well, good morning. Thank you, thank you. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it and turn to the book of Judges. We're going to be in Judges chapter 15 this week. And as you're turning there, why don't we all just give a round of applause to Chris for his Connect card and announcement and greeting delivery. He did a great job, didn't he? He wants to do it more and more, but we, we won't let him. Yeah, yeah. All right, back at you, Chris. Uh, Judges, Judges chapter 15, As you, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know we're going through the book of Judges, and if not, then you do know now. And anybody know what week this is on of, of Samson? I just told you. I didn't mean to do that. We're on week three of Samson. We're on week three of Samson, and actually Sam, the Samson story continues. We've, we've been going through um, each of these judges. We, we haven't gone through every chapter, but we've, we've gotten through Ehud and Othniel and Barak, and now we've gotten to some of the easier names, right? We've gone through Gideon. Now Samson, that's easy to say. Let's stay on Samson for a while. And it's important to know that Samson, he doesn't get all this press in the book of Judges because of how great he is. He's actually written about a ton because of how bad he is. You ever seen a newspaper clipping of, it goes on and on and on. It's like, man, that person's important. And as you read, you're like, no, no, no they're not important. They're, they're terrible. They're not good. That's, that's kind of like Samson in Judges. And just as a quick, quick refresher, Judges comes from the fact that God is raising up judges, leaders of Israel, to rule over his people. We learned that they're not perfect. This, is, this time period, this era will not last because it's not sufficient. And the people continue to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, really no matter who the judge is. But God is using imperfect people to deliver his people, to carry his people through certain trials. They've entered the promised land, but now they've been commanded to, to wipe out the enemies of Israel. And so we see that continue today. More immediate context. We're going to read this whole chapter in just a second. But more immediate context, if, you're, if you were here last week, chapter 14 ended with Samson's marriage. And did it end well or not well? Not well. The last day of the feast, marriages were like, were like a week long, seventh day. Samson gets all mad because the people have found out his riddle through his wife. And Samson, we read in chapter 14, verse 19, in hot anger, he stormed down, he killed these 30 people in hot anger, he went back to his father's house. So he's just mad. And then we learn in verse 20 of chapter 14, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Whoa. Kind of a big deal. So... On the heels of that, we turn to chapter 15, and yes, we're going to read the whole chapter, 20 verses. Stick with me. This is God's word, and this is his word for us today. So Judges chapter 15, verse 1. After some days, we don't know how long, at the time of a wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. 
Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set a fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Etam. Still tracking? Verse 9. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We've come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became his flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath-Lehi. Verse 18, And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst? And fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called An Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. God, give us eyes to see this morning. Give us ears to hear. Give us a spirit of understanding and wisdom. God, most of all, help us see the beauty of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Does anybody love action movies? 
Nod, any hands raised? Yeah. Some of you really don't like them. If you do, you're going to have to like them this morning because Judges 15 is an action movie. My friend, uh, I'm stealing it from him, so he's probably not listening, but if he ever listens to this, Austin, this is from you. He told me Judges is an action movie that keeps spiraling more and more out of control, and there's very, very few moments of peace that we find breaks in, times where we can just stop and breathe. It's filled with chaos. It's rated R for all the movie for all the reasons a movie that is rated R is rated R for. As you will see in just a moment. But we also have to remember that judges is God's word. Doesn't mean we can't get caught up in the action story, in the craziness. But it's God's word. It's revealed to us for our instruction, for guidance, for wisdom, for warning. For us to learn more about God's character and how he deals with sinful men and women. And chapter 15 is absolutely an action movie. We see, we're going to break down this text really in kind of three sections. The first is Judges 15, 1 through 8. And we're going to see this truth. We're going to see that anger and vengeance fuel the downward spiral of sin. Anger and vengeance fuel the downward spiral of sin. Remember, chapter 14 ends with Samson's hot anger. And then we're told, the very beginning of chapter 15, as we just read, after some days, we don't know how long that's been, maybe months, maybe a few weeks, Samson returns, and he's determined to return to his wife, which is not his wife anymore. His wife was given away to his best man. He doesn't know this yet. He returns with a young goat, which now in 2021, that would be like bringing chocolates and flowers back to your wife. He brings a young goat. Pretty casual, right? I'm just going to round up this young goat and bring, her back to, bring it back to my wife. And we're told that he really is just coming back in order... Yeah, well, I'm not even going to say it. We can read. I thought about not stopping after verse 1. But Samson is using this goat for his own pleasure, to get his wife back, to go into her chamber. Need I say more? Okay, Bill gave me this text, okay? I didn't choose it. Okay? We're told her father would not allow him to go in. All right. Can it get any more awkward? The father-in-law, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you can't go in there with my daughter because one... I'm not letting you, too. She's not your wife anymore. I gave her away. But her younger sister, we don't know why he says this, but it almost gets even weirder. Her younger sister, she's beautiful. You could have her. What is going on here? Samson doesn't even really respond to that. His instant thought is to the Philistines, okay? Verse 3, he's so angry. This time, I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Uh-oh, we know it's about to get real in Judges 15. So then we come across this, maybe I, I, I would call it a prank, but it's too serious. It's more than a prank. Maybe the weirdest attack in the Bible. Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Anybody ever done that before? Yeah, I've never even, I've seen like one, I actually saw a fox last night on the, 
on the, during the football game. Anybody watch the Arizona-USC uh, game? Yeah, Fox on the field. What? Samson caught 300 of those. That's insane. And meanwhile, somehow he, he kept them around himself because he made all these torches, and he ties their tails together, puts the torches in between them, sets them off, because he wants to destroy what? The food of the Philistines, the grain fields, and the olive orchards. He's not attacking them directly, but indirectly. But this is essentially a direct attack. They don't have any food left. 300 foxes he sends out. Obviously, the Philistines are going to ask what question? Who did this? Now, they clearly asked around for a little while and found out what? Oh, the guy who had his wife taken from him, from his father-in-law, Samson. Samson did this. So this wild action movie that's kind of now mixed with a chick flick drama, verse 6 adds in a horror movie scene. The Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Period. Next sentence. I don't really need to comment on that, I guess. I don't know why they did that. They were mad. Retaliation. Feeds retaliation and vengeance and anger. It's a spiral. What does Samson say next? He kind of, in English, it's kind of this weird phrase, but essentially in verse 7, what Samson is saying is this, I will not quit until I have avenged the Philistines. I will not quit. I will get them back. I will not just get even. I will get one up. And then we're told that he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. What does that mean? Probably their bodies were a mangled mess. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom. Now this would have probably been a good time for Samson to reflect, repent. He went off by himself to get alone. Good first step to move away from anger. But we'll see quickly that's not what he does. Great opportunity for you, Samson. You did not take it. The next section of our text, and by the way, don't you worry, we're gonna, we find ourselves in this text too. If you're wondering, are we just going to talk about Samson the whole time? Verses 9 through 17, this is what we see from the next few verses of this text. Anger and vengeance, they not only fuel the downward spiral of sin, but anger and vengeance reveal the deeper core idols that can take root in your heart. Anger and vengeance, and really I could add retaliation, reveal the deeper core idols that can take root in your heart. All right, so we continue with this, this crazy action movie. What's going on now? Okay, so the Philistines come up and camp where the men of Judah are. Okay, Samson is from the tribe of Dan, but they're all part of the, of the tribe of Israel. So they're, Israel, Judah, and Dan are on the same team. Philistines come up and encamp among the men of Judah, and the men of Judah are like, hey, what's going on here? Like, why are you coming up against us? And they're like, oh, we're coming to get Samson. Because he let 300 foxes, burning foxes, go into our fields and destroyed all our food. So we're coming to get him back. And so they say, well, hang on, we'll, we'll do this for you. And there's a whole other aside on this. I'm not going to get into it. 
But the people of Israel go against their own man. And they send 3,000 men of Judah down to Samson. And they say, hey, bro, what are you doing this for? Do you not know that they already rule over us? What, are you trying to make it worse for us? What are you doing? And what does Samson say? I'm just doing to them what they did to me. We ever done that before? You ever done that before? Yeah, it's called sin. It's what we do. We get back at people. And we won't quit until we do. So what happens next? They say, yeah, we're binding you up. We're taking you back to the Philistines ourselves. And Samson says, just will you please not kill me? And they say, no, 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 we won't, we won't kill you. We're just going to bind you up real good because we know you have lots of strength. And we're going to take you back ourselves to the Philistines. This is now the climax of the action movie. When he came to Lehi, so his own men of Judah are escorting him back to the Philistines. They're getting back to the rendezvous point. And then we're hit with verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. What did Samson do? Nothing. This is all the Lord. It's up to him. He sent his spirit to Samson. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand like Thor. Just came straight to his hand. And he struck a thousand men. He struck a thousand men. And there's some pretty crazy action scenes out there in movies, but we don't often see one dude take down a thousand. It's hard to even imagine that. I was reading one, one commentary, and it's, I, don't get me wrong, I love commentaries. They, they help me. But sometimes they try to get so, they really try to understand everything. They were like, we're not sure the layout of the geography, the topography. Maybe Samson could only be, um, he could only, people could only go to him one by one. That's how he took down a thousand. We don't know that. He could have taken down 50 at a time, 100 at a time. I just laugh when I read that. We don't, we're just told he struck down a thousand men. And then he writes this. Notice how your verse 16 is indented. It's almost Samson's commemoration song. It's like a poem he writes to himself, for himself, by himself. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. Good job, man. You did great. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon you. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon you. There hasn't really been a breather up to this point, but we're going to take a breather. Up to this point, we've seen anger and vengeance and retaliation on both sides. From Samson, God's chosen judge and deliverer, from the Philistines... I mean, even the men of Judah are turning against their own man to deliver him. They don't want any more trouble. They're almost, they're underneath the oppression of the Philistines. They're almost acting like the Israelites when they came up out of the land of Egypt. Hey, don't, we're okay under their rule. Don't mess this up even more. At least we know what we're getting. 
we can be like that too. We can think God can't, God can't do a miracle. God can't work in our life. Let's just stay how we are. Let's just sit in our, in our bad circumstance. They forget that they serve a God who speaks things into existence. And we serve the same God who, who touches people. They're healed instantly. Who commands the wind and the waves to obey them. To obey Him, excuse me. They serve a God who split a sea for His people to walk through. Not to mention He raised His Son, Jesus, from the dead. He's a God who can do anything. Yet they don't believe that God can save them from this moment. We see in this text that humanity is sinful and broken. And sin is destructive and devastating. Sin affects our own souls, right? But it affects everyone else, our friends, our enemies, our family. It even affects animals. On the other hand, we see that God is so jealous to preserve His people that He can, he can and He will use anyone He wishes to defeat His enemies. And yes, that's important, but I want to go back to the beginning of all this. Samson's anger and vengeance... There's something deeper here. That's not as deep as we can go. His anger and vengeance is a byproduct, is a result of something deeper, a deeper idol in his heart. And I want to sit in this for a second, because I think this is where we come into play. When we talk about sin, Really, we can boil it down to self-focus. It's what we see in this text. Samson is blinded by himself. He is so caught up in him, in Samson. I've defeated all these people. I'm the hero of the story. Smarter people, pastors, scholars, have developed these kind of four main root idols that I'm going to share. And I want to sit in this for a second. Because it's these idols that really is what we're after. We need to name our sins specifically. But where do they come from? Why do we have anger? Why do we have vengeance? Why do we seek retaliation? Maybe you don't struggle with that. Maybe you struggle with something different. Addiction. Forgiveness. They come from one of these four that I want to share. And the first root idol is power. Power. Now, we see this in verse, really all through this chapter, especially in verse 16, when Samson writes a song to himself. He's the main subject. He's the one who struck down all these people. I have of his power. No one can stop me. And at the core of seeking power is to have complete authority. It's to be the center of attention. When the world tells you you have power, then you have what? You have security. And when you have security, you're protected. And you never have to really look inward and reflect. Because everything's at your disposal. And you're always looking down on others. Power seeks recognition and influence. When we seek power, it's like we seek to be the sun. Everything revolves around you. When your existence ends, everything else does. That's power. 
A second root idol that we see is control. And control is actually linked to power very closely, but it's different. Maintaining control is about not being thrown off your own schedule. It's not only doing what you want to do, but it's thinking, I know what that person should do, and if they don't do that, then I'm going to be mad. Because it's good for me to have control. That's what control tells you. It's thinking that you're in charge ultimately and completely. And if somewhere else, someone else were in charge, that would be catastrophic. There's power. There's control. Third, there's the idol of comfort. Comfort. We kind of transition from power and control and authority to this idea of pleasure. That's really what is at the root of comfort. We want things to be easy. We want things to bring us pleasure. We want to do what's convenient to us. To be honest, this is the one I struggle with the most. What would make this situation easier? At the center of comfort is a focus on pleasure for self. We see this in this chapter. If you're wondering, how does this have to do with Samson? Even in the very small comment in verse 12, when he says, don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Just, you can bind me. It's for his own comfort. It's also for him to maintain power and control. They're linked. Lastly, the last root idol from which sin manifests itself is the, the idol of approval. The idol of approval. Ooh, this one on the surface seems like the least powerful. It actually seems like we care about others. It seems others focused. But actually the idol of approval may be the most self-centered because you care what other people think about you. And that's it. If I can get that person to like me, that person to, to be my friend and come do this with me, affirm me in this way, then I'll be good. They don't have a good reputation. This is, we see this from verse 1. Samson taking a young goat back to his, what he thought to be his wife still. I just want her approval so then I can get what I want, comfort, pleasure. Power, control, comfort, approval. It's easy to talk about where Samson fits into these idols. But what about you? What about you? Which one of these or two of these or all four? I mean, it can be any of them, different day in our life that we seek. Do we really reflect? God, are you, are you digging up these idols out of my heart? How, how does that happen? And to show how these are linked together, to give a concrete example of this, listen to this quote that I found. A person with a power idol wants the bigger salary. Not because of the money, but because of the status the money can offer. A person with the control as an idol wants the bigger, bigger salary to save more money to eliminate uncertainty and gain more assurance for the future. 
Same situation, different idol. Continues, a person with a comfort idol wants the new whatever, new toy, whatever it may be, and the person with the approval idol wants to use the new whatever to win friends. They're all interrelated and connected. It's like a chain. These idols keep us from seeing Jesus. They keep us from seeing that He holds all power and authority, that He's the God of all comfort, and that we don't need the approval of man because we have His approval, not because we earned it, but because by faith, He sees Christ's righteousness and He approves of us. We learn so much from this story, but we really see the depths of the sin in our hearts. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He says this, all these idols have to do with being prideful. He says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Kind of a cheeky way to say that we don't look to God. If we're self-focused and self-centered, we're just looking down on people. How can we see God? Now, if you notice, we haven't gotten to verse 18. And this is where we're going to kind of end. Samson, for a brief, brief moment, sees his need for God. I'll give him a little bit of credit. I still think it's ironic, which we'll see why. Look in verse 18. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Samson, <laughs> he sent out foxes. He's seen his ex-wife burned and her father. He's struck Philistines hip and thigh. Hasn't really needed to call upon God yet. But now he's thirsty? God, I'm thirsty. Can you do something about this? Are we kidding, Samson? Now he sees his need a little bit. You've granted this great salvation, but now I'm going to die of thirst. Can you do something for me? And we see this from the last three verses, is that God in His grace is there to rescue us out of the deepest idols of our heart. He's there to rescue us, even when we're not fully in it, even when we're not fully seeking Him. These last three verses contain what I like to call a little bit of resurrection residue. What do I mean by that? You notice in verse 17, what does Samson call the place where he struck down a thousand men? It's in Hebrew, so we probably skip over it because we don't know what it means, right? What does he call it? Ramoth Lehi. If you have a little note on that verse, it means the hill of the jawbone. Now notice verse 19, what does God do? He gives Samson water. He doesn't drop a cup from the sky. He strikes a rock. He can do whatever he wants. He split open the hollow place, and water came from it. And when Samson drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. 
Therefore, the new name of this place is called what? Anhakor. What does that mean? The spring of him who called. The place on the hill, Jawbone Hill, became Caller's Spring. Hang with me here for a second. Jesus is the greater Samson. What was Jesus' Jawbone Hill? It was the cross. It's where he slaughtered sin and death and Satan forever. We can't see the bones piled up there, but they're there. It's where he killed sin. And what did the cross become for us? It becomes Caller Spring, where we call on him for our sustenance. It's not only the place of victory, but it's the place of sustenance. And we see it in the most unlikeliest of places in Judges chapter 15. And this dumb, strong guy kills a bunch of God's enemies and thinks it's all up to him. But his need says, God, I'm thirsty. And God provides water. Anybody remember what Jesus says on the cross? He says a number of things. John 19, verse 28. He says, I thirst. Jesus thirsted for you. He thirsted for me. And in that moment, God didn't give him water. He was given sour wine. He felt forsaken by God. And that's because he was bearing the full weight of the sins of the world, of your sins and my sins on himself. He had to. But he not only had to, he got to. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12, that something was set before Jesus on his way to the cross. It stared him down. I know what that word is. I just heard it. Joy. Joy was set before him. Why? Because of the pain he was about to endure? Surely not. Surely not his pain. That wasn't the cause of his joy. It was knowing that he was about to fix the relationship between God and man. He was going to make a way for you to get to him. And it's not us getting to him, it's him coming to us. So as the worship team comes up, I want us to just sit in this truth for a second. And in a moment we're going to reflect on this question, not quite yet. But this joy that stared down Jesus as he carried his cross... It's the joy that we get to experience from knowing him. Jesus didn't crush the enemy by picking up a jawbone. He did it by laying down his life. By sacrificing himself for you and for me. The cross is not just an example of how we should live. It's not just a mere example of how we should sacrifice for others. Although it's not less than that. But it's more than that. Because without the cross and without the resurrection, we have no hope for salvation. We have no hope for anything, for life. We have no hope of being in a right relationship with God. We would be left to a worthless pursuit of trying to attain power and control and comfort and approval. It's an endless, vicious cycle. It's like 
the book of Judges. We just do what's right in our own eyes. Were it not for the grace of God, Samson would have had zero success. Were it not for God's spirit, Samson would have been slaughtered by the weakest of the Philistine bunch. And were it not for the grace of God, where would you and I be? Be nowhere. One pastor I listened to on this text made this remark in regards to the remedy the remedy for this self-focus and selfish pride. He says our hearts need to be shocked by the grace and love of Jesus. So just before we declare God's word through song again, I want us to just take some time and sit and reflect on that question. Has your heart been shocked by God's grace and love? We see it perfectly in the person of Jesus and what he's done for us. If you don't believe sin has done anything to you, then you won't believe that God's done anything for you. We have to see our sin, but God, let us not be blinded by our sin. Let us see our sin so that then we can see your beauty and holiness. So let's take some time. Maybe even bow your head, close your eyes. Has your heart been shocked by the grace and love of Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we need you this morning. We need you in five minutes from now. We need you in an hour. We need you this evening. We need you this week. We need you because we can't do this life on our own. We can't attain eternal life on our own. We needed someone to come. And crush our sin for us. And God, we rejoice because that's happened. It's happened in the person of Jesus. God, would you fix our desires on you? Help us to see your beauty. Help us to be confronted with our sin, but move through it. We move to be attracted to you. God who loved us and gave himself up for us. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.